This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. What, what is your experience on the, uh, on the pre-poll booths? Do you enjoy it? Is it fun? What is it for? Yeah, I get the rush. I get the rush. <laughs> um, do you have political discussions with people or do you just say, hey, here's the here to vote guard, please vote Greens, thank you, goodbye? Political discussions. Remember this was one of the things that I said I reckon was key to our wins at Federal in Queensland. What do you do? So I'm just because the vibe I get from everybody walking in on the pre-poll anyway, not on election day itself, but on the pre-poll mm. is like, I want this to be over with as mm-hmm. quickly as possible. Yes. But you just start asking like, what do you think about climate change? Do you no. think racism is good? Do you hate rich people? <laughs> no. I mean, do we want to do a, you want me to do a full training on like scrapping as we call it? Is that what it's called? Scrapping. We call it scrapping. I don't really know why, but we call it okay. scrapping on the booth. And you just have a meaningful conversation. Like you have like a door knock with them. But right. your ins are like, do you know who you're voting for? Basic. Right. Yep. I think you're voting Greens even. They get them onto that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, why, why not? And you use the how to vote and you point to it and you go, what do you think of these policies? And, oh, yeah, cool, you think that? Yeah, totally, I think this, blah, blah, blah. Oh, God. The, the, the trick though as well is scrapping is very difficult without a line. It's easy with a line. It's possible absolutely without a line, but mm. a line is just a dream. What, what? what do you mean? As in people lined up. Oh, a line. Yes, right. Well, this is it. I just was doing it this morning and it was a terrible place for a polling booth. It's just like a car park and then the the entry to the polling place. And, of course, we have to be six metres away from the entry to the polling place. So you've just got all these people like just coming in from different angles, walking towards the door. And then, of course, if anybody appears, then all the people who are volunteering and, and hanging out how to vote cards yeah. swarm that person. Oh, that yeah, person no. looks terrified and goes, get the fuck no, away no, from no. me. I don't want to do that. Yeah. And then... You're like, greens? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need. To, there needs to be something you can say in that situation. But ideally you want to, and this sounds a little bit scary, but you want to isolate the voter. You want to get Whoa. them away from everyone else and just be like their little friend before they even get there. And so by the time that right. they get to that, that like yes. mess, they've already had a conversation with someone. They're like, fuck all of you. They go and they vote greens. And that's, that's science. Will you walk with people? Yes. Yeah, okay. So this is the Victorian socialist tactic. I was going right? to say, so, tell this, me, because I've been seeing yes. some stuff about Victorian socialists and it sounds a little bit like what people will say about Greens volunteers in Brisbane. Yes, they're cheating because they're <laughs> too enthusiastic. I yeah. have respect for them. They they do. They they get these conversations onto policy. They're, they're you know, they are aggressive in a way, but it, to me it just reads like political commitment. There's like four of them at the one polling booth. Like they've really got the numbers out there. And they've, you know, got lines of like, you want to put politicians onto a nurse's wage? Do you think politicians get uh, paid too much? If they see someone in a high vis, they say, hey, protect the right to strike. Yeah. (laughs) Quite good. I'm too. You would think think that I, with my experience in comedy, so I've flied for my comedy shows (laughs) a lot, okay, but I realised something that makes you feel more like a loser, not just, hey, please come to my comedy show. It's please vote for my political party. So, because I saw a tweet that was like, Victorian socialist is like the Greens, but if they were frowning and wearing a dower shirt from Sabres. <laughs> so are they grumpy or are they like passionate? They're grumpy. They're very serious, you know, very serious. serious okay. And they're politically committed. They're all socialist alternative people. Again, I got to, and we, we, we'll talk about it more, I think, in the future. But um, yeah, they really are committed. There was a bit of a blow up earlier in the week when I was on the pre poll booths. What do you think of this? There was a Victorian Electoral Commission worker telling people that you can't say anything disparaging about other political parties <laughs> out, outside, like, the, the polling it sounds booth area. Fake. It sounds absolutely fake. 
that doesn't sound real, right? It's just a lot. Yeah. Sometimes they, yeah. So you can't bullshit. intimidate people, I guess, and you can't, he said no. like you can't affect their vote or something. It's like that's the whole point. Well, of this that's whole- not, yeah. Some We've had definitely like electoral commission people try and say that you can't talk to people effectively, you can't have a conversation with voters what? as they're heading into vote. Bullshit. That's bullshit. Um, and the other thing I took away from it is that, you know, people are quite nice. It's very annoying. You know, we shit a lot of labor a lot, but all the labor people were quite nice. We're all having a nice chat. We're all bored out of our minds. They were were always quite quite lovely. One of the guys heading up flies of Victorian labor, a serious danger listener, he said. Shout out to Tom who listens to the show. He says he likes to keep his options open. Tom, you fucking player. Wow. No, I know. I know people like you, Tom. I've dated people like you. <laughs> you fucking start. You were very nice to me, Tom. I appreciate it. <laughs> and, of course, some great crazies out there. There's a big anti-lockdown, anti-dead Andrews craziness. Um, there was a One Nation lady there today Still. who I overheard. It got The sun was coming out. Everyone was putting on sunscreen. And she had a new theory that there's something in SPF that gives you cancer. Oh, that's I a classic. Not- yeah, I wasn't allowed to have, like, real sunscreen when I was little. Really? Yeah. See? See, Byron hippies and One Nation voters, you've got so much in common. Really? Yeah, I know. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now we're recording this before Election Day. People are going to hear this after the results are out. What do you think? What's going to happen? Oh, you want me to predict? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to. You do it. Greens majority. Greens majority. Okay. (laughs) Talk about the Greens. That funny, that the Greens Party is a party of people. They want to destroy the social fabric of society. These people, these Greens, they are snake oil sellers. She has described the Greens as very, very dangerous. Frankly, I've always found the Greens to be a real serious danger to Australia. A serious danger to Australia. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> it's a podcast about green politics in Australia. It's not an official Greens Party podcast. I'm Tom Ballard. With me is Emerald Moon. Hello, Emerald. Emerald Moon. Hi. Made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. This week we're chatting electric vehicles and lowering the voting age for the sake of righteous democracy based on a decision that came out of New Zealand this week. But most importantly, this is our one-year anniversary of Serious Danger. It's been a fucking year and we made it to 500 patrons. I can't believe we fucking made it. I'm so happy. And particularly like multiple people in my personal circle who <laughs> heard me whinging about how we weren't going to make it to 500 patrons and so they yes. signed up. Thank you so much, sweet angels. <laughs> we fucking did it. Thank you. Thank you to Emerald's mom and everyone else. To Laura, Weaver, Liam, Alexander, Kim, Sh- Sean Podge, Brian's Backyard, <laughs> Liam, Rob, Kobe, Rosie, Joseph, Chris, Tom, Aaron, Aaron, Timothy, JT, Michaelia, <laughs> Harley, not my boyfriend, Oliver, Toby, <laughs> Russell, Patty, Irene, Sylvia, Aya Goodrich, Cartling, and Elise. Thank you so much and welcome to the Serious Yay. Danger family. Special shout out. Like, I assume that might be Elise, who is one of my very good friends. And I feel like Joseph might be a mistyping of Josie, uh, okay. who is also a friend of mine. So, anyway, <laughs> if that's you, thanks. You're legends. Thank you so much. If you are interested, I'm sure you've heard, of, heard us back on about it, but you can go to Serious Danger. AU on Patreon uh, for three bucks a month. You get the bonus content. We release an, a special Patreon app about the Greens, Griffith, Max Chandler Mathers free breakfast program this week. That was a special Patreon episode. That was great fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you so much for people who have you know helped us reach that uh, milestone on this our one year anniversary. It means a lot and it, ma- it, it helps really us make does. the show. 
Yeah. It really does. As my mum pointed out, $3, what's that? Like I think that now that's the price that they've raised everything in Daiso, that convenience, not convenience, <laughs> like the discount store too. So only yeah. that a month and you could have all this great content. It is one year since we started this thing. It was my birthday yesterday for listening to this on the day it came out. Huge, birthday, huge Tom. anniversaries. Thank you very much, Emerald. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, here's a lovely message from Robert who got in touch. Hi, Emerald, Tom and Mike. Happy Serious Danger anniversary to you all. And to you, Rob. <laughs> Thank you for all that you've done over the past year, putting out such a great show each week. Listening to Serious Danger has played an important role in taking me from someone who believed change could only happen through the two major parties to volunteering with the Greens during the federal election. Damn. Damn. First time I voted was in 2013 when Tony Abbott took office and after living through close to a decade of electoral disappointment, I often felt nothing I did as an individual could make a difference. Like a lot of people my age, the message of Bernie Sanders struck a chord that a better version of politics was possible, while I also enjoyed listening to American political shows like The Young Turks and Chapo Trap House. Those influences helped shape my politics, but for the longest time I wasn't aware of anything in Australia that spoke directly to those same feelings. Yeah. Serious danger helped fill that void. And along with seeing firsthand the destruction caused by the Lismore mm. floods and coming to the conclusion that not being Scott Morrison wasn't enough of a reason to support Labor, I decided to volunteer with the Greens. Oh. He goes on to say that he's he was campaigning for Rachel Jacobs, who was campaigning against Anthony Albanese mm. and Grainler. He's met a bunch of very cool Greens MPs. Without serious danger being a weekly source of encouragement, I most likely would have remained a bystander whose only political action was casting a ballot. Recently, I started volunteering with the Greens again ahead of the New South Wales state election next March and got to experience door knocking for the first time. Wow. My little babies. Congratulations <laughs> on making it to one year. I hope the serious danger continues for many more and inspires people as it has for me. Love, Rob. That's very, that's all the things that I want to hear. Like, that's so nice. The only thing that could have made it better was an acknowledgement that I'm the funny one. Whoa, now. I like those ones. <laughs> Thank you to all our listeners. We love you and we hope you enjoy the show as much as Rob does and we love doing it. We want to keep it going for a, a long time. So yeah, follow us on social media and give us money. <laughs> yeah, go well. Yeah, we're closer to being able to do that because of the folks who signed up on Patreon. So thank you. It's a program for young adults, my boy, young adults, and concentrating on all the subjects that young adults are interested in. I'm 16, I'm old enough to marry enough children, but I can't drink in pubs. I'm 16, right? I can join the army, the air force and the navy, but I can't drink in pubs. <laughs> a lot of people say that young adults are violent, right? But how would you feel if you were old enough to have intercourse with a partner of your choice, and yet you could not drink in pubs? <laughs> oh my God, some good news. From New Zealand. Oh, Tom. Oh, That's no. choice, eh? It's choice. <laughs> Chilliban. This. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I am going to do the voice a couple more times before the end Great. of this. Great. Good. Story. This week, New Zealand Supreme Court ruled that not allowing 16 and 17-year-olds to vote is discriminatory. The case has been going through the courts since 2020. It was pushed by the advocacy group Maggot 16, which seems like a bunch of legends, I must say. Uh, you know, a bunch of them are actually in the age bracket and have you know, got a massive win here, so congrats to Maggot 16, comrades. The court found that the current voting age of 18 was inconsistent with the country's Bill of Rights, the Human Rights Act, which gives people a right to be free from age discrimination when they've reached 16. 
uh, Kiwi 16-year-olds, of course, can drive, they can leave school, they can work full-time, they can pay tax, they can't vote. In Australia, you can join the army when you're 17. And it's probably worth mentioning once again that we have kids in fucking prison from the age of 10 in this fucking country. Mm. But, of course, you still can't vote until you're 18. Yeah. Um, what did you make of this, Emerald? Is this a good news story? I think I have a different take on I'm torn on this. Oh, yeah? I want to get into it more. Yeah. If you were, if you could have voted when you were 16, who would you have voted for, do you reckon? Uh, I would have avoided. If it was optional, I would not have voted. You wouldn't have done it? And then if it was compulsory, I would have voted for Labor. Ooh, well, thank God. Because I didn't understand. Haven't I said this before? You didn't I didn't what? understand preferential voting. Oh, like okay, I thought right. it was a waste to vote for the Greens. Because once again, civics education in this country is shit. This is our hobby horse. All right. Why, well, I thought we wouldn't have to spend too much time on why lowering the voting age is, is good. But generally speaking, I mean, yeah, what do you, what's your take on this debate and this argument? Is this something you feel strongly about or you don't, you don't um, think it's a good thing to lower the voting age? I don't quite understand the argument for it other than that it will probably help us win more seats. Like as a political <laughs> strategy for the Greens, sure. Yes. Like, yeah, maybe we would win more seats. But ideologically, like – I don't really understand why 16 I, – I think for me it's about the arbitrary line. It's like why 16-year-olds, why they're not 15-year-olds? Like why are 16, 17-year-olds? You know, if you're talking about, yeah, like things that people can do, sure, there are lots of things people can do at 16, but you can also pay taxes when you're 14. So should 14-year-olds vote because it's their taxes that are being mm. spent? And, and I mean like should babies vote because they're impacted by this? <laughs> like I, I genuinely – yeah, I, I don't know. And I think it does make us, it, it, it is one of those things that could be viewed a little bit cynically by the voting population when they're like, oh, the Greens want to lower the voting age, coincidental. <laughs> well, 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 there are some right-wing 16-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> Not many, though. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, yes, and I did, uh, researching this, it's interesting the number of rabbit holes you can go down, and there are some people, including yeah. one guy who thinks we should lower the voting age to six. I read this. This is great. Great article. Yeah, it is very interesting. Good, interesting long read. But you go, okay, so the line is arbitrary, but if you believe in expanding democracy and expanding the, the franchise, then, you know, 16 is better than 18. No? Well, but is that what it's about? Is it about expanding the fr- Like, well, then, but if you believe in expanding the democracy and the, the franchise, it's like, sure, I guess 16 would be a compromise, right? Like, wouldn't you then be like, well, everyone should be able to vote? Everyone, well, okay, right. So what, what are the reasons that you cut some people out and then, Often in this debate, it's regularly pointed out, well, you can't say sort of mental deficiency or the brain isn't matured enough or whatever because obviously people who are over 18 who have either intellectual disability or who are just fucking morons, mm. we, we, we believe in their right to vote and we protect that and defend that and that's very important. I did see <laughs> I did see one guy tweet at Adam, when Adam this is a tweet from Adam Vant back in 2019 when he was supporting lowering the age mm. and this former journalist dude tweets him going, um, the scientists say that the brain hasn't fully developed until 25 and therefore the voting age should be raised to that age. Well, so it actually reminds me a lot of the raise the age discourse when we talk about raising the age of criminal responsibility, which is Mm. a campaign that I have worked a lot on and the argument is to raise it from 10 to 14. And like a lot of that kind of centres, there's kind of like two parts to the argument, one being neurological capacity and like developmental science that looks at, yeah, cognitive reasoning capability. Mm. But often what that proves is that absolutely under 14, pretty much no one has the capacity to 
form criminal intent. And so that's an argument that it should definitely, the age should not be any lower than 14. But I actually, you rarely see something that pinpoints why it should be 14. And in fact, yeah, the, the evidence is that the brain doesn't finish developing until 25. And then when you hear people actually to start to discuss this further, they're like, well, everyone's different. Like everyone's brain develops at a different rate. There's absolutely, mm. you just can't draw a line in the sand that's like this is when people, when a child or a person could form criminal intent. Mm. Then the other side is kind of have the ability to understand and to, it, it's then it's about like vulnerability, right? So then when you're looking at raising the age of criminal responsibility, it's like, well, someone under the age of 14 is particularly vulnerable to be exploited and they're also going to be particularly vulnerable if you put them in a fucking jail cell and you shouldn't do that, which absolutely mm. true. But again, there are people who are particularly vulnerable at every age. And so, yeah, I I, yeah. I don't know. I, I well, don't know what the answer I- is. Yeah, age limits for stuff are yes, generic, and there will be a million completely arbitrary exceptions. But yes, yeah, okay. Well, the bad news, first of all, in the New Zealand case, is that it's probably not actually going to happen, even though the Supreme Court came down with this decision, which is pretty fucked up. Jacinda Ardern said she supports lowering the age. Her government is going to draft legislation uh, for the parliament to consider. But and this is crazy because because it's because the changing electoral law is entrenched under New Zealand law. This again, another great example of how the legal system is just fucked and set, and how the law is set up to entrench the status quo as much as possible. If you want to change electoral law in New Zealand, you need 75% of the parliament, you need a supermajority of MPs to vote in favour of it, or you could have a referendum and you could go to the New Zealand public. Okay. Uh, the Conservative Nationalist Party, they currently hold 27.5% of seats in the parliament, as well as the right-wing ACT Party, both oppose lowering the age. And I gotta say, the arguments against them—they're really—they're fairly—they're phoning it in, okay? Yeah. Obviously, we've got to draw a line somewhere," said <laughs> Nationalist Party leader Christopher Luxon. We're comfortable with the line being 18. Lots of different countries have different places where the line's drawn, and from our point of view, 18's just fine. Yeah. See, that's an equally stupid argument. Like, that's right. just yeah, that doesn't make any sense. National Party Justice Spokesman Paul Goldsmith said allowing 16 and 70-year-olds to vote was an issue for Parliament, but he opposed the idea. We disagree with the conclusion that the voting age that has been in place... Do the voice. Sorry? Do, do the voice. Oh. We disagree with the conclusion that the voting age that has been in place for more than a century is unjustified, he said. It's getting worse. Suntory. <laughs> That's like cultivated like Adelaide accent or something. I know. Sorry. I don't know what that is there. Unless I have a sucks, it's very hard to do. Yeah, sucks. But again, it's just like, okay, it's been around. It's been it's been this way for 100 years. It was like, no, it hasn't. It was 20 in the 1970s in New Zealand and they lowered it. But, of course, you haven't bothered researching it because that's just the thought that you have mm. in your head and you just immediately said it. And the mm-hmm. act leader, David Seymour, said, we don't want, we don't want 120,000 more voters who pay no tax voting for lots more spending. The Supreme Court needs to stuck to its nutting and quit the judicial activism. Now, again, it's like nutting. nutting. (laughs) (laughs) Again, it's like, fuck you, man. 16-year-olds pay tax. So you just said that voters pay no more tax. So, of course, they're barely even mounting an argument, but they don't really need to because there is no great huge political will for this. And as you mentioned before, the most obvious conclusion of this is that it is an electoral advantage for the left. Young people overwhelmingly more progressive. Um, therefore, the more young people you get involved in the system, then the better it will be for for the centre left and the left. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Is it even worth? Is any kind of debate <laughs> actually happening here, or is it literally just people saying that's going to give it's your side hard. more voters? We're going to say oh, no. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And, but I mean, then it's like, obviously the Greens don't say that. Like the, you know, the people who are, are arguing for it aren't like, well, because this will win us more seats, um, even though that's kind of implied. What they will say is that 16 and 17, like young people's view, young people's rights aren't ac- adequately represented in, uh, in parliament. Mm. Their interests, their interests aren't adequately represented. But again, I'm like, what is so different about 16 and 17 year olds? interests to people on either side of that divide and obviously yeah I'm being a little bit contrarian I obviously I don't (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that we should it's not like I oppose this necessarily yeah but I do kind of tie myself in knots being like what does it all mean anyway (laughs) Richard in the line Interesting, internationally, countries where the voting age is 17 include Sudan, South Sudan, North Korea. <laughs> oh, what? You want to be like North Korea, Tom? <laughs> so that's that's the main problem with North Korea is that 17-year-olds <laughs> are able to vote. Yeah. Uh, Indonesia, Greece and East Timor. In mm-hmm. 16, uh, the legal voting age is 16. In Nicaragua, Scotland, uh, Isle of Man, Guernsey. Ethiopia, Ecuador, Cuba, Brazil, and Austria. Austria's had it um, legal since 2008. Germany is currently in the process of lowering it right now. There are some Mm -hmm. countries where, like, local elections you can vote at 16, but then for federal or national it's older. It's just like... What's the argument there? It's just so shitting on local elections being like, oh, yeah, your little kitties (laughs) can deal with who who takes the rubbish out or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That's weird. But the public opinion is really interesting. Like, even in New Zealand, overwhelmingly the adult population you know, according to polling, isn't particularly interested in backing this. And, yeah, Luxembourg had a referendum in 2015 asking people if we should lower it from the voting age, that it has compulsory voting in Luxembourg, whether that should introduce optional voting for those aged 16 and 17. That referendum was voted down 81% of people saying no. What do you think about this, though? Because I remember actually it was when we had Larissa on the show recently and she Mm. kind of in passing referred to the push from the Greens to lower the voting age but have it optional for 16, 17-year-olds. And I was kind of like, whoa, 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 why? Like I thought we didn't like optional voting. Right. You know what I mean? Because the argument being that like in the States it will, like it opens up the door to voter suppression. It will kind of enfranchise particular groups, usually wealthier, more privileged, more educated folks who will know about elections, will be motivated to get out and vote. And not everyone, yeah, like it doesn't actually allow that kind of one person, one vote principle, but the Greens were pushing it. Do you understand why that is? Because I ended up going and asking a few folks about it. Oh, really? Did you get an Mm. answer? Yeah. So it was because they didn't want to, apparently it's because they didn't want to impose like a penalty on under 18s right for who then who then don't vote and yep. so i think what and and that was one of the arguments i noticed for labor not supporting the initial greens push to lower the voting ages they were like well we don't want to support a different voting system for this different age group where it's optional rather than compulsory yeah i think now the greens are saying that they would like technically make it compulsory but the fines like they wouldn't have to actually pay a fine or something which i'm like well in effect Everyone will kind of know that's optional. But maybe people, you know, would still want to, they would be like, oh, it's implied that I do have to go out and vote. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, briefly, the the brief history is people might remember in 2015 when Bill Shorten was the leader of the Labor Party, he gave a big speech to New South Wales Young Labor um, saying, hey, if 16 and 17-year-olds can drive and work and pay taxes, join the military, make their own choices, they should be allowed to vote as well. 
at the time, Matthias Cormann, remember that guy? I do. Labelled Mr. Shorten's proposal as an attempt to grab a headline. Through his accent. Instinctively, my view is that 18 <laughs> is the white line in the sand, he said. Let's see how the debate unfolds, if indeed there is a debate. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you make it sound so cool. Also, is white line in the sand a phrase? I don't, I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> you need to specify the color of the of the line <laughs> between the yeah. But again, it's just like it's so easy being conservative. You just say whatever <laughs> people decided in the past, then I think that. And true. then the way that it's been yeah. working is totally fine, so we shan't change it. Yeah, but again, it's true. Like then when you kind of even just scratch the surface, you peel away one layer of that and you realize it hasn't always been this way. And I don't know if you remember, but yes. actually until fairly recently, not everyone could fucking vote. It's the same as the raise the age thing. Until recently you could lock up seven year olds. Right. in prison and they're like oh i don't know like that sounds a bit crazy to change it from 10 like people thought it was a bit cra- <laughs> crazy to change it from seven like fucking yeah. hell this is people who just think that now is good everything's like things are pretty yeah, good here. as it is not how comfortable with how it is this which is as we know always says a lot about like the position that those people hold in society if they think that everything is hunky-dory right now yeah well they don't really give a shit yeah it's like my kid's not in prison who gives a fuck yeah yeah um, Labor doesn't win 2016. I'm sure we all remember that. 2018, <laughs> the Green Senator Jordan Still John introduces a bill to lowering the voting age to 16 on a voluntary basis. Mm-hmm. Introduces that. The Senate refers the bill to an inquiry with, of course, a coalition and major party majority on the Senate inquiry. Okay. Now, I just want to read this. I know this is a little long, but this has just, just made me want to poke myself in the fucking face with a hot <laughs> knife or some shit. Oh, wow. This, okay. this is the white line in the sand for me. Okay. This, just this. <laughs> infuriating summary of the committee's view which recommended to you know not support the bill despite trends in europe and latin america towards lowering the voting age the committee is not convinced that it is warranted in australia while the committee did receive a large volume of submissions in support of lowering the voting age it does not feel that this necessarily represents the community as a whole. Oh, cool. So you can just make up what the community thinks. What You pull it out of your ass, whatever. Yeah, it's just a vibe. The community has seen no evidence that there is a significant concern or trend towards non-voting that justifies extending the franchise. In addition, the committee takes seriously the views put to it by young people that the bill should not be passed without much wider consultation so that it is done in partnership with young people and not imposed on them. Okay, again, voluntary, so you're not imposing anything on them at all. Therefore, the committee will not be recommending any change to the franchise in Australia. The committee notes that there are many ways for young people to engage in the political system and in policy debate, oh, good. including through participation in committee inquiries such as this one. And how did that work out for them? It, it didn't work out at all. You <laughs> fucking didn't cunts. Didn't they literally just say, they were like, oh, well, we think that, yeah, so we got lots of submissions supporting this, but we yes. don't think that that's representative. We won't be doing that, And so that. we're not yes. going to pay any attention to that. And then they're like, yes. this is fucking gaslighting the children. Also, I bet, like, when they're like, oh, yeah, as young people said, we don't want to do this without a lot more consultation. The young people were probably like, we should do this. And it's essential that in the process of implementing this, young people are brought along and consulted. Yes. And they were like, oh, we, we hear you. We see you. We're not going to do this. You yeah. can't impose voluntary voting onto anyone. They, if they don't want to oh, do yeah. it, they don't have to do it, you fucking psychos. Yeah. yeah. The committee encourages young people. They says, oh, there are other ways to get involved with politics outside of voting. Which is like, yes, okay, but voting's True. pretty crucial, pretty big part of the democratic process, well, I reckon. and it's also just like, it's not even, it's like, it's just the baseline, right? Like, Right, basic yeah. human right. 
Uh, the committee encourages young people to participate in more parliamentary committee inquiries on wider policy issues. Oh, my God, as if they would. Why would they? Join a political party or be engaged in the many youth oh leadership God. forums run by local, state and federal governments and schools. I also don't think, that's interesting, I don't think that you can join the Greens until you're, or is it is it 16, not 18? You can definitely join from under 18, yeah, for sure. Mm. I mean, the major parties, you hear those stories of like, I joined the Labor Party. Yeah, when I was but do they join young old. whatever where right. it's not? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But as you said, on that standing committee, Labor said that, hey, we support lowering the voting age, but we oppose the bill on the basis that it proposes a different voting regime for voters mm. aged 16 and 17 than for other voters with the proposed extension of the franchise to be non-compulsory. Now, I don't know. Call me crazy. That strikes me as letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. Uh, that, that's how I describe that. <laughs> Labor like, would never. If you want to expand the franchise, then, you know, offering it, supporting this bill and making it, uh, voluntary rather than compulsory is is better than nothing. Obviously, more sixteen year olds are going to be able to vote than previously before. I think it's very different to have a non compulsory period leading up to the compulsory introduction of voting at eighteen. Right? Really, you're letting people at sixteen express their democratic will, but you're also, and this is a big um, advantage often been appointed to for lowering the age. You know, sixteen, seventeen year olds, most of them are still at high school. And so you can incorporate the idea of voting into their education. They're also they're often at a fixed address as well. So if you register them and enrol them to vote at that age and get them ex, you know involved in the political process at that point, then they're much more likely to become a lifetime voter and vote properly and you know uh, formally throughout the rest of their life, which I think is a good thing. So there are all these advantages of introducing it at an earlier age. That's but- kind of important. Like both of the examples that you just gave apply, like don't apply to the most vulnerable and marginalised kids in the country, right? Like they're probably not in school and they're probably not at a fixed address. Like even if I think about myself and I don't consider myself like particularly vulnerable or more marginalised, but I wasn't going to school a lot and I would say my address probably wasn't updated when I was like 16 or 17. And so... I don't know. I probably wouldn't have, like I said, I wouldn't have gone to vote. Well, so, you shouldn't be allowed to vote. If you weren't going to school, then you'd be dumb and you shouldn't be, and dumb people shouldn't be allowed to vote. So that's fine. I do not agree with my co host sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there should be an IQ test on not voting. Not all of us got a fucking 99.9% ATAR into school, or whatever, and went in the paper and had a picture of ourselves and our brother because we both had a beautiful little 99.9% ENTA score and had a picture of it on our phone in the local paper. Tom did. I did. <laughs> So in 2022, I think there was a big review of like the electoral system. The special minister of state, Don Farrell, has said the government has never ruled never ruled out lowering the voting age. So a little bit like, uh, we might do We're something good. Maybe. And apparently Jordan's bill, the same bill, was restored to the notice paper in July 2022. So obviously this committee didn't recommend it. It didn't go anywhere. But that bill still exists to lower the voting age and that could still be out there and might be revisited, potentially this New Zealand uh, story of this New Zealand decision might push things along a little bit. Monique Ryan has expressed, the uh, Teal Independent has expressed an interest in mm. supporting it. She thinks it should be lowered. I think she had a lot of really young volunteers on her campaign, yeah. so she's talked about it quite openly. I mean, yes, I don't know. It's, it sounds like you wouldn't necessarily think it's a major issue that should be front and centre for, for the Greens or something that's worth making a lot of noise about. It's hard for me to explain what I mean, but it strikes me as this, it's a particular energy. It's a very... I'm going to get myself in trouble. 
It's like, it's something that I associate more with the national Greens campaigning than Queensland Mm. campaigning, for example, that tends to really explicitly focus on young people. And like, I, I think that it's absolutely worthwhile recognizing that young people are like this prime base of not marginalized, but like uh, people who have a shitter, a raw deal than than older generations and who are mm. very likely to vote Greens and who will have energy to kind of help build the, build the movement and everything. But yeah, I think that sometimes we pigeonhole ourselves as just like the Zillennial party rather than a broader working class party. And it can risk turning off this actually like the kind of young families what do you call it? Demographic is mm. one of the our our most significant areas for for growth. Like mm. young working class families, that's where we have had really exciting growth. I think, and I just yeah, like there's this energy often that's just like, well, we're for young people, we're the party for young people, and so let's let's do that. And I think that's probably why I had this instinctive reaction to this, where I'm just it just makes me be like, ah, it's not as ex- I don't find it as exciting. Mm. Um, but sure, like. Maybe it's it's part of the strategy, sure. I mean, you know, the youth vote it, with the Greens, the youth broadly defined, is pretty substantial. Uh, we don't have Absolutely. the Australian yeah. election study for 2022 yet. In 2019, 37% of 18 to 24-year-olds voted Greens. That, that's the highest yeah. proportion of any age once once you break down in those sort of, I guess, um, six-year uh, age demographics. Yeah, so it's 37% Greens, 44% Labor. In eighteen to twenty fours, one would assume that it would be at least as high, potentially higher, if if you expanded the franchise to sixteen year olds. Now, I know that yes, there is a, some political strategy here, and it can be painted as being cynical. But I think we shouldn't fall for the trap that you know, oh, you just want to let these people on the electoral roll because it'll be good for your uh, side of politics. Now, that's about expanding democracy. And on the left, if we really, if we really believe in democracy and like in a meaningful way, in a grassroots way, in a meaningful way, handing power to, you know, democratic structures and having democratic votes actually mean something and result in stuff. That's like a good left wing value. So, you know, it's important to point out that, you know, the fewer people that vote being good for the right wing is an indictment on right-wing politics and it's good oh, yeah. for the and left that why- more people voting and more democracy mm. generally represents a truer picture of how progressive the Australian electorate is and I think I think that's yes. worth fighting for myself. Yes, no, and to, that's what I mean. I don't, when I say that I think this is something that's likely to win us more seats and that's probably the biggest way I think of it, I yeah. don't mean that as a reason not to do it. Like I think, sure, that might be an attack on us, but I actually think absolutely that's probably the main reason to, to pursue it because I don't, like I think that the ideological arguments are more wobbly than than that. Right. Because I'm like, yeah, I think it's, uh, you, you're absolutely right that these are people who support our policies and rightly so because we have the best fucking policies. <laughs> so, the good ones. Yeah. yeah, it's more just, yeah, it, it does just, I'm like, well, what's, what's with the arbitrary line and, you know, is this really a top priority? And I wouldn't say that it is something that the Greens have sunk a disproportionate level of resources into. So, yeah, yeah let's see. <laughs> Do you think we should have a maximum voting age? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, me neither. Again, maybe, yeah, if you really want to do it properly, you would have to have some sort of, like, capacity test, but even that is fucking fraught. Like, no, yeah, that no, then bad. it starts to get a little bit cooked. So, no, <laughs> I don't know. Although, you know, we do tell our judges to retire. We have a retirement age for our high court justices. 
And the only mm-hmm. jurisdiction with the maximum voting age in the in the world is the College of the Cardinals in Rome. A cardinal must be below the age of 80 on the date of the previous pope's death or resignation in order to vote okay. to elect a new pope. So Wow. Maybe we should follow the uh, the Catholic Church there. Progressive kings over there, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> hear about this electric vehicle story this week, this deal that was done in the Senate, Tom? I did not. I'm not surprised. There wasn't a whole lot of coverage of it, but the Greens, you know, were trying to get a bit of media about it. What happened was the Greens and David Pocock secured amendments in the Senate to a government bill that exempts businesses from fringe benefit taxes on electric vehicles under a certain threshold, like 85 grand, when they buy them for employees. That is not what I thought that this was when I first saw it, because there was like a Guardian headline that was like electric vehicles to become cheaper in Australia after crossbench strikes deal with labor. I was like, mm-hmm. hey, cool. Um, the Greens messaging was like, yeah, we agreed on amendments that prioritize electric vehicles over plug-in hybrids that rely on petrol. We have fast-tracked electric vehicles. We're going to make them cheaper for everyday people. But what they actually did was just amend the bill so that initially it included plug-in hybrids as well as like fully electric vehicles. But now there's a sunset date for support for hybrids of April 2025. So after that date, this tax discount won't apply mm-hmm. to hybrids, only to 100% electric vehicles. Okay. Thoughts? Uh, and does it just apply to cars that are bought by businesses for their employees? <laughs> yeah. Yes, Tom. Does it affect people who are directly buying their own cars? So... Like, yeah, okay. So that's where when I actually went to read about this today because I was like, oh, yeah, we'll talk about the electric vehicles deal. Then I was like, wait, that's what this is? Mm. I was a bit surprised. The other part of the deal that the Greens struck, so Greens and Pocock, was to require the full federal government fleet of vehicles um, to prioritise zero emission vehicles. So, again, it's about not allowing hybrids except in exceptional circumstances how many cars in the federal government fleet? What have we I got? Don't, I don't know. It must be, I guess it's probably a lot, but like, yeah, how many? How, how, what proportion of the cars in the country? That'd be good to know. And this is like something that the Greens have done before, like ACT government, right? They've got 100% of their fleet is electric vehicles, as I understand, mm-hmm. or, and has been for a while. But what the Greens are saying, so this quote from Adam Bant says the government fleet will go electric and when these cars are sold secondhand, it will help bring down the cost of EVs for everyday people. Okay. So that was where they're like making it cheaper for everyday people argument comes uh-huh. from. It's it's interesting. I guess it's probably maybe true. I mean, they probably churn through cars and put them on the on the market and but again it's like very market logic, hey. Oh, of course, yes. It's all still marketing for sure. I mean, yes. I, th- I think there's an argument that generally, if you make something cheaper, even if it's through one one mean, you know, through, through in one particular area, yes, through markets and competition, in theory, those prices will come down, sort of generally across the board. And the fact that those cars are entering the secondhand market would op- would obviously have an effect too. Um, procurement stuff as well, obviously, increases the demand for and the supply of those vehicles in the economy too, which. Can, you know, can also help to drive mm-hmm. down prices. So I guess mm-hmm. so. It says here the Commonwealth fleet contains over 12,000 vehicles, 7,000 wow, passenger vehicles, including SUVs. Are we having electric SUVs? Wow. 
and over 5,000 light and heavy commercial vehicles. Yeah. I think they often exempt like specialist, special vehicles from, from these requirements. So that may have been the fine print somewhere. I don't know. Right. But yeah, it's interesting that this is purely for like very, if this is for businesses who are able to buy an electric vehicle for their employees. Uh, yeah. So that sounds like that's obviously the upper echelons of right. um, classes in, in Australia. They, an article I was reading about this said that it would, if you get an EV for around 50,000, of which there are hardly any, um, mm. but around that, that's, it would make it about $9,000 cheaper. So that's, that's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this because I think that the electric vehicle policy area and like the politics of, you know, electric vehicles is is an interesting one in terms of like climate and environment and as well as like the class dimensions and then there's like urban planning kind of considerations that are all very interesting. Mm. I I think it's interesting that this is now like supporting electric vehicles has the the public discourse around it, I reckon, has changed a fair bit even in the last few years. Like, do we want to take a little time machine back to 2019? <laughs> jump uh, in, everyone. We're going to 2019. To That's right. We're doing it in a Tesla. <laughs> so I was going to say room, but it's actually just silent. <laughs> We're going really fast, but silent. We've got great acceleration back to the past. Yes. I've driven um, a Tesla, by the way. I've done Daniel you? Bleakley's little, you know, um, coal miner drives a Tesla yeah. thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and was it fun? Well, it was pretty fucking fun. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty great. They're good toys if you can afford one. I would <laughs> yeah. love an electric vehicle. I'd love Tesla uh, as long as it doesn't catch on fire. <laughs> <laughs> but this is one of those things that was – pointed to along with like franking credits, negative gearing that were pointed to after the 2019 election as something that lost it for Labor, like that the coalition was able to attack them on and it was like a key, yeah, attack on Labor because the the policy, so the policy they brought to the election, a national electric vehicle target of 50% new car sales by 2030. Mm. Morrison dubbed this a war on the weekend. And I'll tell you what, it's not going to tow your trailer, it's not going to tow your boat, it's not going to get you out to your fa- favourite camping spot with your family. Bill Shorten wants to end the weekend. <laughs> 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 Which, yeah, because they're like, like they're kind of, you know, they're like, oh, they're going to make it more expensive somehow um, that, you know, that for you to pay for fuel or for you to buy a fuel-powered car, petrol-powered car, whatever. It was also electric cars are gay and they're not yeah, as strong it's as just, you. It's that more like a culture Yes. Yeah. It's a culture yeah. war thing that they're mm-hmm. like, they, they won't take your cars. <laughs> for some reason, we suddenly become American. But I reckon that's disappeared, don't you think? Like 2021, the government suddenly has announced their own pro-electric vehicles policy. Like they're not, that's no longer part of the discourse, I would argue, is people arguing that, yeah, electric vehicles are wimpy, wussy, shitty things and we all want gas guzzlers. Yeah. No, no. No, no one cares about that. I think everyone could tell that that's clearly where it's going. I suppose at that time the coalition was able to, you know, in their view, um, there was enough political capital in attacking climate politics and saying that doing anything to address the climate crisis would destroy our lives and the economy. And then, hey, what do you know? By 2022, they're all sucking net off zero. net zero by 2050. Yeah, yeah, which will still actually destroy our climate as we know. But, mm-hmm. the, yeah, they're pretending now. It's that classic shift from... Not even pretending to pretending. And who knows what's worse? I don't know. But 
So the the labor policy, 2030 target of uh, 50% of new vehicle sales plus 50% of new government cars by 2025 would be electric vehicles. And they were going to phase in emission standards that would be applied to retailers, uh, which would include allowing them to do stuff like offsetting high emission car sales with electric vehicles, which I'm not sure how that, that works. But anyway, um, the Greens policy, our most recent policy, we have a bunch of kind of initiatives that are aimed to increase the uptake of electric vehicles. One of them is uh, rebates for buying your first EV. So $10,000 first EV rebate or uh, 15,000 if it's Australian made. And then the government would finance loans of up to $50,000 for the balance. We also say we want emission standards. We want 100% Electric, plug-in, hybrid, or fuel cell vehicles. I don't know what that is by 2030. Do you know what that is, a fuel cell vehicle? No. I, don't I think know. we could be the least car people in the world yeah, discussing this. I was trying this. to understand. I was like, hmm, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely, fuel cell vehicles. Leave that in. What, what kind of horsepower is that? Yeah. <laughs> Spark plugs. Um, Grease lightning. And then they also want $2 billion for 30,000 fast charging stations across the country and for all new Commonwealth vehicles um, to be electrical electrical to be electric by 2025 plus 1.2 billion dollars to manufacture electric vehicle parts and cars here in Australia. What do you think I'm curious Tom so where do you think that electric vehicle policy should sit in the broader landscape of like a green politics priority wise that sort of thing. It's interesting. I sort of, you know, I think probably like a lot of people that got excited by it, probably maybe back in the heady days in which we thought Elon Musk might actually make the world a better place. I don't know if <laughs> anyone thought that, but it just in terms of mm-hmm. the work, you know, him being a billionaire aside, the work that Tesla might be able to do and the technology they were developing and the future they were painting uh, in which, hey, yeah, mm-hmm. you can still drive your car around, which if you care about the environment, you might feel guilty about. We can get off those fossil fuels and stop burning oil and uh, get and um, gas and stuff, and we can still have our beautiful little convenient cars. I think what I've gotten to now is a general, genuine burning hatred of cars. <laughs> and once you read the history of it, and I, again, I was looking into a little bit of this for my book, it is insane how the path of cars have just dictated mm our entire lives and how all our cities look and have changed everything about the way we relate to each other and are responsible for the suburbs. It's like amazing once you introduce the car as the main vehicle of transportation yeah. for human beings under Western capitalism, how that just affects everything else and and our view of things. So, And what I'm hearing a lot more from people who you know, write a lot more about climate politics and the environment is now it's like, we all yes, sure, let's have electric vehicles as much as possible, but let's also fight for a future in which not in which getting around does not require you to have your own little yeah. personal vehicle because that's that's actually an insane way for us to organize society particularly in massive cities. Mm, so you're one of those filthy anti-carers, anti-car yep. greens, Tom. Um, I never owned a car myself. Not to break, Wait, really? Nope. Never owned a car. Wow. Never owned a car. That's so fascinating. Love my little bike. I got a flat tire today and it really fucked up my day, but um, that's okay. Oh, on that's whole, what you meant when you said you had a flat tire on your bike. Yeah, on my bike, Okay. Yes. That probably explains why it took less time to resolve than I expected. <laughs> so that's an argument for riding bikes, I guess. That's so interesting you've never had a car. Yeah. Because, I mean, have you always lived in a city? Well, I lived in, grew up in the country. But so could always I was living with my parents. And then when yeah. I moved to Melbourne, I've either lived in Melbourne or in Sydney. 
loved riding a bike, hated the hassle of riding a car, didn't really like driving a car, I'll be so. Whenever I borrow one or have like a hire car, I do recognize how convenient they are and I appreciate <laughs> that. They are, they are. They can be quite helpful in that respect. But generally, it's it's amazing. Like it just doesn't affect my life that much. Yeah, know? yeah. I I rarely use my car, but I do on weekends because I go down and see my family. But anyway, that's not. This is a podcast about the Greens, not Emerald and Tom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the there is an argument, you know, like obviously bringing down emissions in our transport sector is one of the most significant things that we need to do to tackle the climate crisis. It sits below. It's after energy. It's the most significant contributor to to emissions still only about 18 percent because energy is so fucking massive mm. but it's yeah and it's like just above agriculture i think is is the next one so it's a significant thing that we need to really get onto if we want to bring down emissions that's true and yet i don't know like electric vehicle proponents are also i just find them some of the biggest punishers like it's always <laughs> that old guy in your branch who is just obsessed with electric vehicle policy and wants it to be like the number one priority for the Greens and thinks that it's absolutely the first thing that we should be pushing for. And it right. also has, yeah, that like creepy technology, not taxes, capitalist kind of sheen to it where like, for example, I was reading this article that, you know, this program or this like competition sponsored by Mini where they got architecture and, and urban planning students to design a city of the future and it's just got like these big buildings where they charge their electric vehicles and it's like got some beautiful stuff like parks mm. where petrol stations used to be but it's like clearly Mini thinking about you know well this is the future where our business model continues to work and it is it's that argument that yeah we can pretty much just sub in the the components of our existing lifestyle under our existing like economic and social system with just replacements that are some like just with green replacements, just sub it in and continue mm. acting like we always have, which we probably, as we've spoken about quite a few times on the show, need to challenge mm. when we are looking at how we tackle the climate crisis. It's not just replicating the exact, the exact same yeah. system in a kind of it's like way. that's still traffic. Like this yeah. amazing technological techno futurist optimism is like you, you're stuck in traffic, but you're just an electric vehicle. Yeah! Wow! <laughs> like, what a what? world. Uh, well, we might have flying cars, you know. We've been waiting on them, like, ha for how many decades predicting we would have flying cars by now. Right, yes. Yeah. And that's not to mention, like, uh, although this, I will say, is absolutely overblown by the left and by, like, climate denialists uh, saying that, well, you need to mine all the, all the you know, minerals and you need to destroy the environment and it, and it uh, there are so many emissions that will come out of manufacturing electric vehicles that it's actually not worth it and it's worse for the environment. That's It's mm. not true. I mean, yes, we will need to expand probably critical mineral mining and right now because we don't have 100% renewable energy, it, that kind of manufacturing is largely powered by fossil fuels. But even taking that into account right now, it's still better to have electric vehicles in place of petrol. But it's true, like we shouldn't just yet yeah, sub it out one for one. Because as you say, it's a it's a shitty use of space. Yeah. Car parks take up so much space. You look at the have you seen those diagrams, you know, all those like illustrations where they've got how much how many people are carried in a in a bit of space when they're all in cars versus when they're on like a train or a bus. Do you ever see mm. you know the ones I'm talking about? Yeah, and I've seen the the ones that show how much how bigger car lanes have gotten as cars get bigger, of course, and like that, you know, the, the smaller amount of space for people on their bikes or using other alternative mm. uh, modes of transport. Like, it is fucking insane just how big cars have gotten as well and how much space. Yes, yeah. that's so yeah. true. 
and how much bullshit, yeah, space in our cities during a housing crisis is taken up with yeah, fucking car parks. fucking car parking. Um, and yet, but if, I, I mean, it's true, like politically, if you try to campaign against car parking or, God forbid, taking away car parking spaces in a city, yeah. you will be met with such vitriol. Like it is one of those really <laughs> difficult things to actually uh, achieve. And, you know, the pro fucking, the motorist lobby is massive and powerful. Yeah. So then what do you think of in Victoria, for example, I, this is an ongoing thing, right, where Victorian Labor wants to introduce or has introduced road user charges for electric vehicles and the Greens have been campaigning against this. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, it's being um, interpreted as or being labelled as an electric vehicles tax, basically. That's the, the hot spin political attack that the Greens mm-hmm. would uh, use to describe it. and. Okay. I suppose, you know, the argument for it is like, well, people in electric vehicles are using the road and therefore yes. they should pay these fees. <laughs> but then I guess, you know, depending on how much you see the transition to electric vehicles as being fundamental to the fight against the climate crisis, people say, no, we should be doing everything we can to incentivize and encourage people to buy and use electric vehicles. And if that means that the owners mm-hmm. of electric vehicles get a whole bunch of tax breaks or aren't subjected to the same kind of taxes and fees and charges that people with fossil fuel cars do, then then so be it. Well, yeah, because isn't the idea that people who drive a car that requires petrol have to pay the fuel tax excise? Yeah. And so because electric vehicle users don't have to pay that, it's meant to kind of, I think it's even meant to mirror that somewhat. But I went to look up how they actually do this in Victoria and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That they literally have to send Someone, if you have an electric vehicle, they will send you a request to let the government know how far you've driven in your electric vehicle, which you can do by taking a photo of your odometer and you have to send it back (laughs) to the government and then they'll calculate how much your road user charge is going to be. Like that is not scalable. It's ridiculous. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe that that's a thing that we would be doing in 2022. Oh, hang on. I've just got to take a... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I can give the government more money. One yeah. second. Who the fuck is doing that? I mean, to be fair, if anyone's doing it, it's fucking electric vehicle owners. They're like, oh, well, yes, I followed I know, all the then rules. I thought about it <laughs> and I'm like, they absolutely will because they'll be like, well, I'm so responsible. I absolutely will. Yes. Yeah, so I remember when I heard about this road user charge thing happening in Victoria and how the Greens were like, don't do it, it's bad. Um, and we should be incentivizing uptake. Mm. And some folks in the Greens in Brisbane and in Queensland were like, oh, I don't know. Like I actually, there's kind of a bigger debate to be had about road user charges like, mm. and that we should be using something like that that is about incentivizing people to get out of cars altogether mm. and to bring down congestion. I, I think it's I when I was reading up about this, I hadn't heard about Singapore, but I had heard about London. Both of those cities have charges to just to enter the city centre, right, because it just yep. got so fucking congested that they're like, we need to disincentivize this somehow. Right. And there, there's kind of academic, you know, there was an, uh, an article in the conversation that I was reading about how you could work out not even necessarily just a road user charge that's just based on distance travelled but a congestion tax that you can kind of figure out how much someone is adding to traffic and, and congestion and yeah. tax them based on that which would still allow people in regional areas and who would often be poorer folks, like driving outside of the city centre, wouldn't then have to be paying the same amount for a a lower impact. I mean, 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, so are you pro road user charge? Well, I mean, I think it's it, it's different if a congestion charge that would apply to all mm. vehicles equally. That's that's one thing. Yeah. I suppose, yeah. yeah, the argument being like I've got an electric vehicle and I'm not buying fuel, I'm not burning a fossil fuel, which is cooking the planet, yeah. therefore charging me in the same way that people who are, you know, paying that. Although I guess that fuel excise is not a tax on, was never introduced or perceived as a tax on burning a fossil fuel, is it? But that's just sort of how it works out. So that is a little bit complicated, I suppose. I think London's crazy. Like London, to me, has the best public, I'm sure maybe some other cities do, but has one of the best public transport systems in the entire world. Mm. So people driving their car into there are fucking insane. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, and uh, I guess that's, (laughs) yeah, yeah. But that's the other conversation to be had like in places where there is no good public transport and maybe this is a bit kind of chicken or the eggy, but it's like, do you really want to take away the only way that people can actually reasonably get around or yeah, kind of punish people for using the only way? Do we need to provide that infrastructure first, make it accessible, make it cheap or free? Mm. uh, And then we can be like, okay, now get out of your car. You have no more excuse. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, get the hell out. I mean, I've also <laughs> seen, you know, I've seen some responses that made me think differently that people say, oh, you know, all public transport should be free. Absolutely, yes. But then people say, well, if you're doing a big shop as well, like, you know, cars also have this kind of, you know, the advantage of being able to load and transport big items too. That's true. Um, and if you're getting around with kids, that's another factor too. So it's Yeah, it's I wonder but- if the argument is like you should be doing more, you know, people would just be popping down to the neighbourhood store around the yes. corner because we would have such accessible cities. We wouldn't need to do a big shop that we then need to right. get on Again, the bus Again, this is home. once you've got the car, yes, yeah, so the way suburbs look and the way that the city just sprawls out to the point where, yeah, there's no community you're just expected to live in a certain place and then, yeah, drive yourself to the fucking megastore, <laughs> the Costco <laughs> or whatever, and load up and drive back, yeah, as opposed to having yeah. any kind of, yeah, community, sense of community. Yeah. The other thing is high-speed rail, right? I know this is like, yeah. you know, transport in between cities, but- Australia's inability to sort out high-speed rail and fucking China is nailing it when it comes to high-speed rail. You know, evil evil polluting China. The, the only story we hear from China is how much they want to kill the environment and building a million coal plants. It's like when it comes to high-speed rail, China is poning everybody else. And the fact that we are still relying on, you know, flight. I think the Sydney and Melbourne is like the biggest air corridor in the whole world or something like that. But the fact that we haven't sorted out a high-speed rail network between these yeah. up that eastern seaboard is insane and would go a huge way to minimising emissions when it comes to transport. Yeah, Breaking. <clears throat> oh, that was my voice. My voice broke. Um, but I was going to say, <laughs> like, breaking left as podcast gets in support of very fast train. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's good. I know train. it's like no very the fast train. Look, it's good. It's good. It. And yeah, ultimately, though, yes, you're right. Like, I think we need to have an expectation that at least for the very long foreseeable future, there'll be some some people need to drive cars, and sometimes people, yeah, will need to use a car, maybe not even theirs. And so, I think it's true that we should be looking at phasing out petrol cars and replacing them with electric vehicles. It's true that. The current cost is prohibitive for practically everyone. There's, you know, I was reading a a survey on this. In Australia, the main barrier, of course, to buying an electric vehicle is the purchase price. That's like about two-thirds of of people. People also have concerns about, you know, driving range, which is where we need to build more 
charging stations. Um, interestingly, that's something that, yeah, like the coalition will will often sort of focus on, oh, we need more charging stations first, whereas the Greens will be like, well, we need to make it cheaper for people to buy the cars. And there's also there's like not much diversity of, of brands that are available. Tesla makes up about 40% of electric vehicle sales in Australia. 80% of electric vehicle sales in the country are over $65,000, which I just cannot even fathom Mm. A car, like spending that much on a car, that is just absolutely fucking wild. So, yeah, like, I, it's like I support the green. It's like, yes, I support these policies from the Greens, but it still makes me cringe when we talk about it. And this, the, what they've done this week about the like excluding hybrids as because they were arguing that if they allow this tax discount to apply to hybrids for, you know, fringe. Um, fringe benefit taxes for employers that would effectively amount to a new fossil fuel subsidy right so i i understand that but i'm also like but does this mean that then yeah the companies will just be like well i'll just get a petrol vehicle because it'll be substantially cheaper yeah yeah i don't know i guess we just have to rely on bosses across the nation who really want to do something to um address the climate crisis making the right ethical choices at their workplace (laughs) notoriously upstanding people (laughs) with great integrity (laughs) it just i mean it look i don't know i'm sure as you say transport is a massive uh contributor so are we saying it's like the second highest industry i think in the u.s transport is responsible Mm. for most or yeah it's one of the top uh, sectors responsible for emissions obviously yeah yeah, transport is a name game but sometimes this stuff does feel a little like small fry or small potatoes and what we Mm. need to be talking about is Massive investment in public transport, in electrifying our public transport. You know, Japan's yeah. been having the fucking Shinkansen for ages. Surely yes. we can get a little bit of that going on for high-speed rail. Yeah, getting very people fast out of train. Plane. Very fast, very fast train. trade. I love very fast trade. <laughs> um, and and obviously, you know, the energy sector is, is also the main game, which is, is we've talked about yeah. a lot too. But, yeah, sometimes I, I completely understand, particularly when the prices are at this kind of range. Also with Tesla, doesn't if the software fucks up, then you're fucked? Like your whole, your whole car just shuts down oh, really? and you can't I drive. I wouldn't be surprised. If- Elon Musk is such an idiot. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You did something very interesting with Star Wars, if you think about it. The good guys are the rebels. They were Viet Cong. Exactly. So were you thinking of that at the time? Yes. So it was a very anti-authoritarian, nested or, deep inside a, or, a, a fantasy. Or a colonial, you know, we're fighting the largest empire in the world. Right. Do you like gin? I love gin. I don't know, because I've never tried it. Oh, yeah. But here I am. This is a very okay. Our call to action this week is around is around is around the wonderful Queensland Greens having a fundraiser, a Greenslander 2022 pineapple gin. The idea, I think, was to celebrate our wins at the federal election in 2022, and particular Greensland with a gin that you can buy, and the proceeds of the sales will go towards our election campaigning and growing our movement here in Queensland. For some reason, I guess like Tom has just got the stench of of Greenslander on him now from doing this podcast <laughs> with me because he is like an official, the face of this pineapple gin, Greenslander gin, mm-hmm. uh, endorsing this gin. What's your quote that you've got here? Mmm, tastes like victorious eco-socialism, which I'm sure it does. I don't know. It's got a bunch of fruits in it. I was reading all the ingredients. It's got pineapple in there. It's a gin. It's got this art by Nordacious, who is a self-proclaimed gin-drinking greens voter. 
and mm-hmm. it'll be on sale at the national conference in wow is that only a week's time yes it is yes. this it is a week's time from now when you're hearing this episode sunday afternoon i think we're starting at 3 45 in one of the streams we're doing a live show serious danger will be there and yeah if you're at conference you can buy a bottle there but you can also buy bottles online and it'll help help the cause help us win yes if you're a member, of course, you can come along to the national conference happening in Mianjin next weekend. That's very exciting. We're going to do a live show. That'll be grand old fun. With both of us together. Yes, together on stage. Emerald wasn't yeah, there for the last one, so that'll be really fun. Also, free plug shout out. I was on the latest ep of Trash Future. People might know Trash Future. Great British um, leftist podcast. It's very funny. It talks about how we're all going to hell in a handbasket and how <laughs> technology sucks. And it was really fun to do that live show. I reckon people who enjoy Serious Danger will be into Trash Future. Links for that mm. are in the show notes. Sick. Sick. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Follow us, Serious Danger AU, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. Subscribe Not to Facebook. us on YouTube. Oh, did I say Facebook? Yeah. Not Facebook. <laughs> Don't worry, we're not on Facebook. Don't worry. Uh, or you can just go to seriousdangerpod.com. Thanks, Emerald Moon. Thanks, Tom Ballard. One year. Here's to many year, more. One year. Happy one year. Happy anniversary. What'd you get me, by the way? Um, gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Serious Danger, Australia.